In the talk this evening, I'd like to go once more to looking at the practice and looking at the ways in which this practice does develop the areas that it can move into in the field of experience. And though some of this may be ground that I've covered before and that you're familiar with, still it's important to again and again have some sense of the possibilities of this practice and to have a, a clear relationship to the changes that we might find ourselves undergoing. This practice of inside meditation is a practice which is concerned with deepening in understanding, with developing insight. It's concerned with nurturing a whole variety of inner qualities and inner resources that contribute to inner wisdom, that contribute to opening the heart, that contribute to being, having qualities such as compassion, loving-kindness, sensitivity simply more accessible to us. In the process of the practice developing, there are a number of changes that take place, both changes in our way of seeing, changes in our way of relating, changes in our way of being with things and with ourselves. There are also changes that take place in what we actually perceive. We perce have perceived reality, the reality of ourselves and external realities in particular ways that may have felt at times in our lives to be very solid and substantial and our actual perception, process of perception, undergoes change. Through the practice, we also, in its development, have access to a whole variety of inner experiences, a whole variety of meditation experiences, some of which I will refer to later on in the talk. But what can take place through the practice, one of the developments of the practice, is to experience a whole variety of altered states of consciousness. There, are, there does also happen through this practice changes in our actual makeup of being. Inner changes, deep fundamental changes in our actual inner makeup. And these are changes which fall not so much into the realm of experience, but rather they are fundamental and lasting changes. And those kinds of inner transformations which are liberating and freeing are the quality of change that this practice is truly concerned with. Experiences, altered states of consciousness, different dimensions of consciousness arise because of the development and application of particular factors. If you sustain attention, if you nurture and apply sustained levels of energy and sensitivity and effort, 
then different experiences will arise. Some of them quite extraordinary, some of them very intense, most of them quite unfamiliar to our usual way of being within our own consciousness. One thing that needs to be considered though is that any experience is transient. It arises because of particular factors and it also passes when those factors are withdrawn. So it is possible in meditation practice to have some very high experiences and some very unusual and intense experiences that can actually be very exhilarating and very exciting and very opening. But of course one really must consider that they are going to pass. And to become attached or cling to any form of experience that we that unfolds within ourselves is actually to set ourselves up for suffering. It's not in any way though to invalidate or diminish the importance of experiences. Because just to step out of the familiar boundaries of our consciousness, just to begin to have a sense of the possibilities of our own being, the possibilities of our own consciousness, it's deeply inspiring. It's deeply inspiring. You know, so often we regard, you know, these very opening experiences, at times heart experiences, as somehow being the territory of other people, the territory of people who spend their lives in monasteries or caves, but surely not, they don't happen to, you know, little old me. And to begin to experience in the practice the depths to which our consciousness can expand and can deepen is enormously inspiring. Experiences show us on an, on an experiential level, on an intuitive level, that it is possible for us to perceive in ways that are unfamiliar to us, that we don't have to be locked in any way into frozen or static ways of seeing ourselves or seeing the world. And experiences too, entering into different levels of meditation, in a way truly reminds us of the power of our own inner resources and that connection with our inner resources is truly empowering because we may find that you know we may feel locked within a particular way of seeing a particular way of being within ourselves and we experience that we can actually call upon our own inner resources and bring about change and bring about transformation and that is enormously empowering because so often the changes that we experience in our own consciousness, in our own life, those changes are too often dependent upon external input. That we lose contact with something that's dissatisfying to us so we're happier or we make contact with something that's gratifying to us so that we're happy. We make contact with something that's threatening to us so that we're unhappy. How often in our lives our very consciousness is, has no more stability than a leaf in the wind and seems totally tied and totally dependent upon what is happening around us. So it is enormously empowering to discover that we have within ourselves the tools and the resources 
to step out of that way of constantly being conditioned. Also, as we begin to see that we go through changes, that our way of perceiving goes through changes, that our own vision of ourselves goes through changes, it encourages us to question. It truly does encourage us to question. Again, we can be locked into frozen images of who we are. And we see that we bring our attention to them, to the thoughts and the feelings that construct those images, and that they dissolve. And as we begin to see things do fall away, we begin also, or we are also inspired to question, well, what is real? Who are we, actually? Where are we amidst all this changing phenomena within ourselves? Is there a place within ourselves that is not subject to this kind of conditioning, this quality of being influenced? And perhaps, too, our inner changes and the experiences that we may encounter in meditation practice, even if they are only fleeting moments of peace or fleeting moments of serenity or fleeting moments of connectedness, those moments do remind us of what is of true value and true significance in our lives. They remind us of where we need to be connected, what we do need to be in touch with. Because again, it's so easy for us to be lost in differences, to be lost in what divides us, to be lost in what separates us, to be lost often in the the details of life and at times to live only in a superficial way and to connect inwardly with inner moments of real calm, real peace and real connectedness. It is like coming home. It is like really being established in a spiritual home within ourselves, which we know intuitively to be a place where we need to be connected, that we need to be reminded of. Apart from the experiences, apart from the moments that arise and pass, which are unfamiliar to us, There are also changes that take place through the meditation and the very quality of our consciousness in our way of seeing, our way of being, in the very makeup of our being. And those deeper changes, those deeper levels of letting go, those deeper levels of transformation, could not actually be said to be a product of a particular technique. They're not necessarily a product of a method or a formula that we're applying. Rather, those deeper levels of inner change are really born of insight, born of understanding, clarity and understanding developing within ourselves. And those inner changes, they're not transient. They are not something that are lost. They are fundamental inner change. But it also wouldn't be true to say perhaps that those inner changes can be entirely separated from technique. Because you look at what we're doing here, it's not in order to perfect a method of meditation. It's not in order to adopt a philosophy. It's not in order to become very good at producing a particular form of experience that we're all striving for. 
What we're actually doing here is creating both an outer environment and an inner environment of sensitivity, of spaciousness and receptivity. And that inner environment is one which facilitates insight, facilitates understanding, facilitates the development of wisdom. Because in that inner environment of receptivity and softness and openness that we cultivate within ourselves, we can begin to listen inwardly on a more than superficial level. We can begin to listen to the mystic within ourselves. We can begin to listen as wisdom and compassion emerges within. In this talk, I would like to look at the way that this practice can unfold, the possibilities of this practice, and it's important to do that. It's important that we have a kind of overview of where this practice goes, because I know there's many times when people come and they say, well, I forget why I'm doing it. You know, I'm in the middle there and I'm really in some mental state or I'm in, I find myself struggling with something or I'm trying to let go of something and I just forget why I'm doing it. You know, I keep doing it, but I don't necessarily know anymore why I'm doing it. And that easily does happen in the practice. So it can be helpful to have a kind of perspective of the possibilities of our own inner unfoldment and to have a sense of the way that the practice offers different possibilities to us. Of course, in listening to this, when we have to really appreciate the tendency of our mind to compare, to evaluate, and to assess ourselves. And hopefully we can, just for the next half hour, just set aside that tendency. Afterwards, if you want to spend an hour kind of evaluating and assessing and comparing, then please feel free. But try not to get stuck at one place where the practice is unfolding because you might miss the punchline. So just as much as possible not to use that kind of mind which tends so much to evaluate progress and regression, success and failure because it is really of no help to us. One factor that really needs to be taken into consideration when we look at the way that practice unfolds is that it does not unfold the same for everyone. It clearly does not. We are unique within ourselves. We bring with us unique histories, unique ways of being, unique ways of seeing that are not duplicated by anyone else. We have our unique areas that we're working with and our practice needs to address that. There isn't a standard map for unfoldment. You know that you go to A and turn left and go to B and turn right and then this happens and then that happens and then this happens. The practice simply does not work in that way. And most important for us is not to create any models of what we should be experiencing, what should be happening to us, where we should be by the fifth day of a retreat, why we should be beyond where we are. Hmm? It's very important to open 
adjust to where we are and to really appreciate that we are where we are in the practice because on some level we need to be there. There is something for us to learn from where we are. It's not always easy to figure out what it is, but there is some reason for us to be experiencing what we are experiencing. And that's where we need to give our attention, not necessarily to try and avoid it or deny it in order to come to some other place that we think we should be experiencing. There is something that I call, for lack of a better phrase or terminology, I call it a kind of karmic makeup of people. It's an inner makeup, inner inclinations, that means that we do experience the practice very differently. That kind of karmic makeup means that one person comes into a retreat and perhaps they've never done a retreat before, and they sit down and they're at home. And it's like they, they've always known that place, and they're happy and contented, and perhaps they have access to deep levels of, of samadhi states, of absorption states. means for another person, they may come into a retreat, and they put exactly the same effort and the same energy and the same attention out, but they may have a totally different experience. And it may mean that they never experience something like absorption states or jhana states in meditation practice. And it's not that one person is a better yogi than another. It's not that one person is a better meditator than another. It is simply their own inner makeup, their own karmic makeup, brings them to experience the practice in different ways, means different forms of experience are accessible to them. And what, of course, is important, most fundamentally important, is not the number of experiences that are encountered, not the portfolio of experiences that's accumulated, but the level of insight, the level of understanding that has come to. Because experiences in themselves are not totally transforming. They can contribute to transformation, but what is truly transforming is understanding. But something else that also needs to be appreciated is that this path of developing the practice is not a path of gradual progression, which is often believing in the path of gradual progression is often the source of a great deal of grief for us. Because in many ways we anticipate that we should come into a retreat and perhaps we start in a place of chaos or confusion or limitation or crisis, and we see that, or perhaps anticipate that our practice is gradually, gradually going to get better and better and better and better, and that we're going to get clearer and clearer and clearer and clearer, and that it's going to be this very, very smooth kind of progression. For most people, it is not like that. For most people, periods of stillness are frequently followed by periods of turmoil. Periods of concentration are frequently followed by periods of chaos. And it's not that you slip back or that you've lost something or that you've regressed suddenly. Often what is actually happening in the practice is that the very deepening in stillness or the very deepening in attention, what that actually means is that there's layers of defense, layers of reaction that tend to drop away or layers of armoring that may drop away, 
and out of that emerges yet more movement and more noise. Uh, and it's of no value to try to return to that place. You know, I was so nice and quiet last sitting, how do I get it back? Hmm? It's no, of no value to try and do that, but to really acknowledge that that arising of turmoil or that arising of movement or mental states is actually a quality of things becoming conscious. It is often a process of things becoming conscious. At times it's a process of releasing and it's where we need to be. This path is not one of a gradual evolvement from ign ignorance to enlightened retirement. For most people, there isn't such a thing. And although we often long for it, you know, we would love to come to that place you know, or feel that there may be a place somewhere in meditation where you don't have to work anymore and it's all, you know, you have some major breakthrough or some major experience and then, you know, it's just all, all ease from that point on and you don't need to observe, you don't need to pay attention, you know, that it's just all there, ready-made. It's something of an illusion. For most people, as I've mentioned before, the practice is one of valleys and it's one of peaks. And at times we're in the valleys and at times we're on the peaks. And when we're on the peaks, sometimes we forget about the valleys. Or we look down on the valleys and say, well, I've gone beyond them and I'm never going to experience them again. You know, I've finished with those because I've climbed this mountain and I'm on the top now. Forgetting that, you know, once you get to the top of the mountain, you've got to come down again and climb to the top of the next mountain. And in the beginning of meditation practice, often the obsessiveness or the interest is only in the peaks, you know, who's interested in the valleys, because the peaks are all about, you know, happiness and contentment and serenity and peace. Of course, we have an attraction to being on the peak. But I feel as the practice develops, we do begin to appreciate often the richness of the valleys, that that is actually where much of our insight is, that is actually where much of our learning is, and that is actually where much of our inner change takes place. And we begin to come to a place within ourselves where we can extend a welcome, an open-hearted welcome to being in those valleys. It's not always pleasant, but we learn how to be in those valleys in a way which we don't also forget the peaks where we're not lost, where we're not floundering, but where we actually have the capacity to learn. Meditation, whenever we begin it, the practice of meditation, the practice of contemplation, begins with attention. In this practice, we begin with the breath and we begin with slowing down. And we appreciate that in this sudden stopping in our lives, there's a major adjustment that takes place. Adjustment from being primarily focused on the outer world to being primarily focused on the inner world. And when we do begin to focus on the inner world, because of that adjustment and the abruptness of it, often what we encounter are quite strong extremes of habit, of reaction, of mental states. Often we find ourselves going through experiences where our bodies are strongly resisting the stillness, strongly resisting be just being present and slowing down. 
and we find that our minds are also often in a strong state of resistance and we can feel to be very distracted by that resistance we often feel to be overwhelmed by it it's a difficult stage in the practice it's a difficult time in the practice because often we feel that we are so there is so much arising within ourselves that di- that's difficult that there is so much to deal with and often we feel that we just finish with dealing with one thing you know maybe we breathe a massive sigh of relief after three days because the dullness goes oh and then comes restlessness you know or or then they have an afternoon of doubt or then we have an afternoon of of craving or we go through a kind of massive negativity surge you know where everything is wrong and unacceptable and unpleasant And it's a very, very difficult stage at times of the practice because what we seem to be experiencing are all of the difficulties. We've heard about them and read about them, but we never knew they were going to be so bad. (laughs) And we experience, it seems, so many of the difficulties and often not a lot of the benefits. You hear us spouting up here about peace and harmony and serenity and... (laughs) all these kind of things and you figure well maybe other people's happening to them but it's sure not within the field of my experience you know? and so it can all seem a little unreal and at times you really do wonder well you know why why am I doing it why you know is this an exercise in masochism or you know do I need further practice in self-abuse or you know what what am I doing this for And often at that point, too, when you're in that place when there's a lot of resistance, it's also a time when we tend to be very judgmental about ourselves. The very uh, duality and division that exists between what we're experiencing and what we would like to be experiencing often means that we do become very critical and very judgmental about our inner experience, which, of course, makes it harder of course clearly makes it harder for us but for different reasons most of us are still here Um, sometimes the reasons aren't clear to us sometimes the reasons for not being here are clearer and yet something does keep us sustaining in the practice sometimes it's just desperation because we may have tried many other paths and we may have tried many other ways and we know at some point we have to come to ourselves. Sometimes it's, it's fear because you know that you know, if you pack up and go, everybody else is going to know and that's hard to live with and it's not that long to the end, you know, so you ought to be able to slog it out and miss a few sittings and a few walkings and <laughs> won't be too bad. Sometimes, though, there is faith sometimes too there is also faith in an intuitive sense that actually although it may be difficult and although it may be hard at times we also do perhaps have moments of peace we also do have a sense of the significance of opening to ourselves of developing our own sense of possibility of developing in wisdom of compassion And we have faith, no matter often it's only a whisper, but there is some faith that we do have the capacity inwardly to be fully awake, fully clear, 
fully caring, fully compassionate human beings, on some level that faith is there and it sustains us. It brings about some trust and willingness to stay with ourselves, to be with ourselves and to be with our experience. Often in the two, in the beginning of meditation, there is a place that we go through and a stage that we go through when we're very concerned about the how of meditation. You know, although it can seem very clear, I mean, after all, your breath comes in and out and in and out and in and out, and sensations come and go and come and go. And on one level, it can seem very, you know, well, you know, there's nothing complicated about this. It is very interesting the way that the mind can get into these obsessions about, am I doing it right? Am I doing it right? Sometimes there's a feeling, well, if your experience isn't unfolding the way that you might anticipate it should, then at times the thought does arise, well, maybe I'm doing it wrong. You know, maybe there's some sort of magic instruction that I missed, you know. Maybe that one sitting I didn't attend, they gave instructions that were just the ones I needed to hear. And I missed them. Maybe there's some sort of magic formula that I didn't apply. If I'm with my breath, am I really feeling my breath? Am I really experiencing my breath? Or is it an image? Is that sensation really there? Or am I producing it? Often there's a lot of concern that comes out of a place of anxiety. Sometimes it's a valid concern. But other times it comes out of a place of anxiety about just how to do it right. It also tends to be a time when there is a great deal of content arising within ourselves. I think probably most of you are familiar by now, even though you might not have been in the first day of the retreat, are very familiar by now with what I mean by content. The dialogues and the monologues and the endless long conversations with only you involved and the, even, <laughs> even the arguments. <laughs> When you're the only one involved, you know, and the asserting of different opinions, except there's no one else in on the argument except you. You know, all of this, of course, is content. And it feels in the, that part of the practice that there's so much coming up. You know, there is this wonderful meditation terminology that refers to things coming up, you know. And it, it really feels like that. You, you know, you sit and all of a sudden all these things just seem to come up out of nowhere. You know, you wonder why on earth am I carrying around that conversation with my, that I had with my grade school teacher, you know. <laughs> Where did that one come from, you know. And they seem to appear almost out of nowhere. And because this does seem to be a lot coming up, then off, our, our relationship is frequently one of just trying to stay on top of it all. Just barely trying to stay on top of it all. And perhaps it could be um, compared to maybe learn, taking your first driving lesson on an L.A. freeway or going the wrong way or something, you know. And you just got to stay really on top of it all because <laughs> if you relax for a moment, you know you're going to lose it. You know, you just know that you're going to be lost. So you, you have that sense of some degree of tension. Often there's not a lot of relaxation in the practice, to say the least. You know, you feel that you need to be on top of it all. There's frequently some tightness in that. Also a part of that place in meditation, or that experience of meditation, is that one of the characteristics is that we 
do at that time also tend to form a very personal relationship with all the things that are coming up. You know, I mean, they are clearly our experience. They are not anybody else's. You know, my pain is clearly my pain. It's not somebody else's knee. You know, my sort of uh, states of turmoil seem to be clearly my states of turmoil. There tends to be a very close relationship. And so we find that we're going through these swings. You know, we feel down and depressed when we are see the constant repetition, perhaps, of thought patterns that we'd just as soon be rid of. We feel frustrated with repetition. We feel, at times, overwhelmed by all of the, by the frequency of the arising of thoughts and images and memories within ourselves. Because there is a great deal going on inwardly and because it's not always an easy relationship, there is also a tendency then to focus very much on the negative, often because there seems to be so much of it. You know, and it's hard to focus on the positive when you can't seem to find any. (laughs) When it becomes clearly sort of wishful thinking. A mark of this stage, too, is because there's so much activity, we tend to assume very strongly the role of the doer, the role of the meditator. We are very much in the center of this experience. And because we are in the center of, at times, what feels like a whirlwind, there does come about often that feeling of a lot of trying you know, trying to be focused and trying to be attentive and trying to be clear and trying to be connected. And the whole day can just seem like one long session of trying. Um, At times it feels a very, you know, trying to make things different, trying to alter our experience, trying to modify our experience when we're angry, trying to be more loving. When we're, undistra- when we're distracted, trying to be undistracted. Often a feeling of a lot of choppiness. At times that trying can f- feel to be a very uphill struggle. You know, it feels very uphill. You know, you know a lot sooner try and succeed at one thing. There's another thing to try with. And so, of course, there's tension. Because there is much busyness, because there is much activity, it is also the time when we tend to formulate inner models of a good and bad meditation. Now, you may have come here with no models at all about what you should be experiencing. It usually takes about two hours in a retreat before you have a really strong, inwardly created model of what your experience should be. It's based on a number of things. It's based on us, you know, gushing forth about peace and enlightenment, and it's based on looking at other people and what they seem to be experiencing. It's based on on, um, constructing the opposites of what we are experiencing. We've all heard, we've all heard time and time again that there is no such thing as a good meditation and there is no such thing as a bad meditation. 
that there just is what is. Very few people believe that. <laughs> very few people believe that. Most of the time we have a very clear idea of what a good meditation is. It's very clear. And we have an even clearer idea of what a bad meditation is. And we know clearly also the difference between the two. The good meditation, of course, is everything that conforms to our expectations and our desires of what we should be experiencing. And the bad meditation clearly is one that conforms to everything we think we shouldn't be experiencing. Now, the, the not particularly pleasant news is that this stage of practice of trying and activity and resistance and good and bad and all these things, it can last for quite some time. <laughs> Sorry to tell you that. <laughs> Not necessarily, just a few days. It comes and goes through different retreats, through different parts of our own unfoldment. It's not like you get over it, you know. It's not like you deal with it in your first three days and then you're finished with it forever. Those times of difficulty and trying, they tend to arise whenever we begin to encounter something unfamiliar, something new, something challenging to us. Again, we find the arising of the hindrances. And sometimes we're very surprised and we think, it was happening, I already dealt with those. I, they shouldn't be coming up again. I spent three days dealing with those, you know. <laughs> and I shouldn't have to spend any more time dealing with them. Often we can feel quite resentful. You know, and hard done by that suddenly we have to deal with them again. Remembering that they are not states that are just adjustment. They are responses and reactions to being within the field of experience which is challenging, at times threatening. The good news, or better news, anyway, is that these this choppiness in the practice and this busyness and the turmoil and the trying and the struggling, it actually does pass. It clearly does pass. At times it passes in ways that in which there's not the returning to it. As the practice deepens and is established and integrated into our very way of being, then those times do pass. They do become history and we perhaps very rarely ever have to deal with them again. We find even in a retreat, in the very unfoldment of a retreat, as we continue the practice, we find that there are changes that do begin to take place. We find that although the same thoughts may be arising and the same feelings may be arising, simply through the sustaining of attention and the sustaining of the practice, there is less involvement. Our relationship to them does begin to undergo change. There's no longer the same extremes of reaction. We no longer take them quite so seriously or quite so personally. There's not so much the feeling of being overwhelmed and overpowered. Even the things which yesterday or the day before were absolutely overpowering or overwhelming or we were submerged in, we find that we're actually able to accommodate many of those same thoughts and feelings. And there's no being, be, there haven't been any big kind of headlines in our practice that says, you know, aha, change taking place, or, you know, shift has taken place. It's been very subtle and very quiet, 
but somehow a change has come about in the consciousness which means there's a change in relationship to what we're experiencing. Because of that, there's less reactions and there's also less extremes in our field of experience inwardly. We don't find that we're experiencing the same highs of elation and the same lows of depression. We don't find that we're experiencing the same highs of excitement and the same lows of despair. It comes about simply a more sustained equanimity, a more sustained tranquility around things. There's just that feeling of being able to accommodate. There's some changes taking place in the consciousness. There's greater spaciousness. There's greater openness. There's greater sensitivity. The power of attention is growing. It deepens. And we find that actually the mindfulness which had felt in the beginning can feel so contrived and so artificial, like a game that we play, we find actually that the mindfulness begins to have its own momentum. And it begins to have its own kind of development. It feels much more organic. We feel simply just to be more aware. And we are aware of more. We are aware of more because the level of contraction is not so strong. And what is actually happening in that is that the consciousness does begin to open. The kind of boundaries of our consciousness, which are so strong when there's a lot of clinging and reaction, those boundaries do begin to break down. There's also some quite important insights that begin to develop. For one thing, we can step out of the role of being the victim. So frequently in our lives, we experience ourselves in that role that strong things arise, our relationship to them is being submerged and being overwhelmed. We actually discover that we don't have to do that. We don't actually have to be a prisoner of our minds. We don't have to be a prisoner of our memories. We don't have to be a prisoner of our conditioning. We don't have to be a prisoner of mental states actually find that there's a clear change in relationship and some clear insight into that, that that role of the victim changes because the very opening of our awareness means that our inner resources are more accessible to us. We may see that mental states begin to arise and we can meet them. We can actually meet them. We can actually take a step towards them. We can actually welcome them because we're connected inwardly with our own resources of energy and stability and awareness. And the level of fear, the sense of powerlessness, the sense of paralysis or helplessness is just beginning to disappear. It's just beginning to dissipate. And there is a quality of strength, a quality of wise strength, not invincibility but a very open and a very soft strength that is developing within ourselves that allows that welcoming to take place. Through the very power of attention, you know, there is still content arising. There's thoughts arising, there are feelings arising and memories arising, but somehow the struggle and the trying is much less 
the reactions are less and therefore there's less of a feeling that we have to get rid of anything or that we have to get over anything because in, so, in a very real way our consciousness instead of being established in the content which is where it is when we're overwhelmed our consciousness established, is established in the awareness and that is an extraordinarily major shift that takes place instead of being established in the content a place where we take things very personally to be very substantial and where we identify where we react our actual sense of being is established in the seeing in the awareness which receives the content but the relationship is radically different rather than any feeling of this is happening to me you know or I am being subjected to this or I am making this happen that sense of being so much in the center of experience begins to disintegrate the sense of being the center begins to disintegrate and there is just much more of a sense of pure seeing and instead of being on the LA freeway you know you're out on a country road you know, and things arise and you're seen and they're welcomed and they pass at times they stay for a while and you inquire into them you explore them and they equally pass but there is much more richness in the actual experience of the content and more possibility for insight because the content of the stories are surrounded and held within a feeling of spaciousness a feeling of sensitivity and a feeling of awareness we begin at those points as those shifts take place we begin to clearly experience some of the deeper benefits of meditation practice we begin to experience real moments of peace real moments of connection a real sense of inner rapport it may not be that everything that arises and changes within ourselves is pleasant but there's a sense of rapport and a sense of connection and again it is a big shift the consciousness is lighter there's more equanimity and the content that does arise makes much less of an impression there's a shift too in the practice then there's less of an emphasis on the content there's less of a sense of being an owner and the meditation begins to assume its own momentum there comes a greater awareness of the process of what is taking place you begin to clearly to begin to see into process you know that you have a particular impression might be in the form of a memory an image of a thought you can see the feelings arise with it you can see the associations arise you can see the whole process of constructing a reality of constructing a mental state happening and because you can see it because you can see it right from the very moment it begins you are not overwhelmed by it there's a capacity to for a very organic letting go a very organic accommodation of all that takes place within ourselves and in that there is a great deal of insight sometimes at this point in the meditation the insights are really many and very special because we see so much about ourselves we see so much about our way of being in the world and at times there's 
that you know there can feel to be even almost an anxiety about the amount of insight you know that if I don't record if I don't write it down I'm going to lose it but I ha- personally have a, a very long history of losing insights you know I probably have the longest recorded history of losing insights of anyone in this practice you know I lose insights everywhere and I mean I, I lost all my journals from my practice in India you know I I lost three years of work on a luggage carousel in an airport a couple of years ago. You know, I I lose insights on my computer now. You know, everywhere I go, I leave behind me a trail of lost insights. You know, it's become something that I'm just accustomed to. You know, you have insights, you lose them. And really, just to relieve the anxiety about, you know, if you don't grab hold of this one, you're going to lose it. I would recommend, from my experience, actually, that they're not actually lost, you know, that you may, they may pass and they may not be quite so surface or right, so accessible, but actually insight is integrated inwardly. It truly is integrated inwardly, and you don't lose them. Now, <clears throat> at this point in the practice, you also see, begin to see, because in the beginning when you have a very personal relationship to content, there's a, the part of that relationship is that you have to work everything out. You know, you've got to work out your conditioning, you've got to work out your memories, you've got to work out your images, you've got to work out your issues. And part of the practice that, or part of the process that happens is that you begin to see that perhaps you don't that actually awareness has the power to neutralize the power of conditioning. Hmm? Because conditioning arises in this moment if you are clearly conscious and clearly aware and clearly sensitive in this moment, the power of that conditioning is neutralized. You're not bound to it in any way. And you begin to appreciate how very, very deeply liberating the power of awareness is. And it doesn't involve any denial, it doesn't involve any dismissal, it doesn't involve any invalidation, but it's being established so strongly in that seeing that that seeing has not molded, is not conditioned by anything that arises either inwardly or outwardly. Being established in that seeing, there are different directions that the practice can take. One of the directions that the practice can take is that we may choose actually to develop technique, the different techniques of meditation practice. You know, we spend three days on the breath here. Quite frankly, it's very, very little. The practice of using the breath has a whole process of development which leads into deep states of absorption which are called jhana states. Now, these states can, these qualities of absorption mean deep, deep levels of bliss, of happiness, of joy, of equanimity, where there can be a cessation of mind, a cessation of body consciousness, where there can be an abiding for a very long periods of time in pure joy, in pure equanimity, in pure boundlessness. You know, we have a little introduction to the breath, three days, but there's a possibility in that practice which it can be developed. There's a possibility in the practice of mindfulness that can be developed, that your awareness is so acute on a moment-to-moment level that your insight into the nature of change, into the cessation of clinging, can be so deep and so transforming. And the different practices that we use 
have different benefits. You know, it's not like they, they are, you know, divorced from each other, but each practice has its own particular fruition which can be developed. And many people choose, once established in that place of real awareness, to develop the practice in specific ways. Other people choose not to focus so much on the development of technique, but simply to really remain in a very deep way connected with that quality of seeing and that quality of awareness and to really explore its possibilities and its potential. Both directions, again, lead to the development of insight. In not only personal insight, but insight into the nature of existence, into the insight into the nature of existence that we all share, a more universal level, a more universal degree of insight. That insight can be very liberating and it can be very transforming. I mean, to deeply understand the nature of connectedness can be deeply transforming. To deeply understand the nature of impermanence can mean radical changes in our lives, in our way of being. To deeply understand the nature of dissatisfaction, its cause, can mean an immediate, substantial level of letting go in our lives. Both directions in the practice lead to the development of insight. It does not necessarily mean that being established in awareness that we just, you know, forget about practice or forget about technique. We may choose to develop at different times, even in being established in that awareness, the benefits and the possibilities and that of technique. The deepening of awareness, we come to a place where there's a quality of receptivity in which we are established. It can almost be called a quality of grace. It's a quality of such a deep level of stillness and silence and grace within ourselves that there's a clear knowing in that establishment that there is nothing to do, that there is nothing to attain, that there is nowhere to go. And in that level, in that place of grace and that quality of grace within the consciousness, there is simply silence. There is simply stillness and an opening of the heart an opening of the heart too. All of this insight leads directly to the heart opening. Because as the defenses fall away, as the clinging falls away, as the resistance follows, falls away, the heart does open. There's an organic development of compassion, of love, of care, and of sensitivity. And in that quality of awareness, that quality of grace, there can be also the sense of being touched quality of being touched by liberating insight, insight into the unconditioned nature of reality, the unconditioned essence of our own being. May all beings live with sensitivity. May all beings live with awareness. May all beings abide in receptivity.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.